it's back. We're here, the 212 podcast again. Every episode we record a different guest talking about the events and art industry. What that involves, how they got into it, and more importantly, why. Our next guest on the podcast this week is Brian Markey. He is the tour manager of the super talented powerhouse siblings, Billie Eilish, and her brother's band, Phineas. Not only that, he dabbles as a singer-songwriter himself, having played in the band Therefore I Am on Equal Vision Records. If that wasn't enough to be getting on with, he has produced the acoustic basement stage on the Vans Warps tour for four years. He is on the events and art industry charcuterie board with all the fine delicacies to his name. Brian Markey, welcome to the show. How are you and where are you at the moment? Hi, Daniel. I am good and thank you for having me. I'm currently outside of Yosemite National Park in uh, Mariposa, California. Beautiful spot. Yeah, I understand you've been for a walk. How was it today? It was beautiful. We uh, we came up here, my wife and I, for a little vacation getaway uh, slash hide in the mountains during our election. So it was a good time. <laughs> it was a good time to get away. So now you can come out of hiding now. Yeah. For now, we feel pretty pretty okay. I think that was a big one for everyone, I think. I guess first and foremost, we kind of mentioned it there in the uh, the intro there, but uh, let's let's get it out there on the table. Is is Billie Eilish and and Phineas just a a dream to work for? They just seem so grounded. You know, they're they're really really special in that I got to start working with them when they were, were so young. And, you know, they really had nothing but passion for just writing and having a good time together which is why we all get into music and playing or working in music and from there it really showed me that that that's what drove them you know what drove them together was that they wrote things together that were really fun to create there were things that they enjoyed creating from there it was just you know, the label and management and agents and everybody else just kind of took that and kind of was like, well, how, you know, how do you want to steer the ship? How do you want to go? And it was really interesting to see them go from, you know, I started touring with them on their first tour ever in 2017. And, um, you know, we're just hopping in a van and doing it pretty punk rock style and now we're you know headlining festivals and playing in arenas around the world and uh yeah they're they're really they're really incredible people and musicians and artists and it's it's been really surprising you know for me coming from a punk rock diy you know world you know like i I come from a lot of post hardcore bands and and playing in metal bands and hardcore bands back in the day, as well as being, you know, an artist myself as a solo artist, acoustic artist, singer songwriter kind of thing. So it's like to see what they do at the pop level, it really changed how I viewed pop music and how I viewed what's possible in pop music. Um, they, they how really, do you view it now? Well, it's, you know, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely the machine. There's definitely the pop box that, that do things to be famous, that do things to have hits. They have teams, they have teams of writers and this and that. And it was really refreshing, you know, for me, you know, working in with a pop artist, it, you know, wasn't my number one pick because it wasn't what I was used to. When I started working with Billy and Phineas, I realized how much more in common they had with being punk rock than they did with being what I construed as 
as pop, uh, it was really refreshing to see that they really didn't care about a lot of the same things that uh, people that are striving and, and desperately trying to be pop stars do and kind of the path that they carve that's been repeated and repeated so many times over. They, they kind of went another way and they did it themselves and they by did it themselves. I mean, they had a team, they had all the people, you know, you have all your, your pieces in place, but as far as the songs and the music, they really kept it pretty tight. They write everything together. They Phineas produces everything himself. And that's kind of unheard of in pop music. Pop music is you listen to a bunch of people tell you exactly what to do to exactly get the same outcome as other artists work with this person, write with this person, produce with this person, work with this video person, work with this team, and we will make you a hit. And they were more interested in making art that just was fun and resonated with them. And that was, that was really unexpected for me. You know, I really didn't expect that coming into a, a pop situation. You know, it really was, it was quite interesting for me to, uh, to land in that place and go, huh, I'm learning something new about how this approach is and how these young people are approaching music and approaching existing in the pop space, which admittedly wasn't something I, I really experienced too much firsthand. And that's kind of where um, people want to be as well. They, I mean, they, they get into music because of obviously the love for music and somehow once you get to a certain level, it kind of disappears or Billy specifically, I, I mean, she's still seen, it seem, seems quite effortless. Yeah, you know, it, it it does become complicated. And I have seen the other side with other artists and, you know, even with Billy and Phineas. But really what what drives them is really just creating creating fun things that they're happy with, things that, that push themselves in the ways they want to be pushed, kind of answering to nobody. You know, that's kind of the ultimate goal is just take it or leave it this is this is this is what i'm doing you know and that's why you don't really you don't really hear you don't really hear hits that sound like oh that's an obvious manufactured pop radio hit because it's not it's it's a little more nuanced than that and they're willing to take that risk they're willing to it it sounds silly but it's like it's almost courageous what they do in that pop landscape because they are willing to just go, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to do it. And that's it. You know, and they're being allowed that freedom as well. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's to the, you know, that's to the, uh, you know, the tip of the hat to the label and management and agents and everyone that works with them, that they see that they've got something special and they, they're doing something in a special way. That's a, a little bit against, what people expect and against the norm they're giving them the space to breathe and to do that while still existing in the pop space you know still existing you know with all the the streaming services and you know still existing with radio and tv and all the all the things that encompass uh the pop mainstream music landscape you know they're they're there for it and they're supportive and i think what's interesting is a lot of people early on started, you know, editorials and things were saying like Billie Eilish is changing the game and this and that. And it was really funny because to me, I was like, she's changing the game by just doing exactly what she wants to be doing. That's crazy that that's actually a game changing move instead of 
tell me what to do to be famous. Tell me what to do to have a hit. Tell me what to wear. Tell me what, how to be, and I'll do it. And that's kind of, that's not everybody, of course. Everyone's got their own story. But we've grown up with this idea of what mainstream pop music is, what it sounds like, what it looks like, and what it acts like. They've, they've kind of smashed those things to bits. It should almost I be think it, kind of a given that, that, that that's, that's, the, that's the way to do it. Just give people the freedom and then you'll get a better result. Yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're happy with what you're putting out, at some point you have no say in how that's going to land with other people, how that's going to reach other people's hearts and minds, you know. Um, so if, if your first goal is to do something to enjoy it yourself and to enjoy it with the person you're making with, with and the people you're working with, beyond that, it's just it's just kind of icing on the cake, you know. So when you're I think a lot of people start more with a deficit, more with a, I need to know that this works. I need to know that this is going to be a hit. I need to know, please someone validate me. I think it's kind of the other way around with, with them. They're, it's, it's almost like a prodding almost like of, you know, watch this, you know, watch what I'm going to do because it's just fun. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's why you get, you get interesting interesting songs and interesting surprise hits out of billy because they're not your stereotypical pop song format all the time you know it's it's really you go outside the box i mean one of their biggest songs when the party's over was like this really sweet sad dark ballad you know and that was like one of the biggest songs like who was asking for a ballad you know to be to represent pop in the, in that that way and it's not in like the old Celine Dion way. It's not in like the the epic, you know, Whitney Houston way. It's in a new it's in a new way. And I think that's that's really cool. You know, with rock and with ballads in specifically, it it kind of ties in with stuff that you that you've done previously. You probably maybe has there been some crossover there where you looked at both and thought, oh, this is I can see the similarities here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like when I started working with her, I really, I heard a lot of interesting stuff from the 90s that I grew up with. She didn't sound quite like them, but the same feelings I was getting from, from her music were things I felt in, you know, listening to Portishead and Bjork and Fiona Apple and Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. There was, there was so much ethereal and kind of interesting stuff going on and you know yeah that and even in metal like the epicness or like the kind of the nod to, to choirs and classical kind of epicness <laughs> was was definitely there how did you get into events yourself at the very beginning and how did you get to kind of manage or tour manage uh, billy and the brother like where, where did that come about yeah so i started out playing in bands when i was a, a young teenager i was like probably 13 or 14, I started playing with friends in school and some older kids that I knew played music and we became friends and we played together. And I guess when I really started to take charge and carve kind of, I don't know, kind of the second side of me beyond being an artist was that terrible and we couldn't get shows. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just like, well, but I wasn't I wasn't put off by it. I was just like, okay, we're not ready. We're not good enough. That's okay. How can I how can I work around that? How can I put on a show? So, you know, my dad played music 
he, he wasn't a professional or anything, but he definitely played music at pubs and, and bars and things like that. And he had a small PA system. So I would swipe his PA system from him and I'd rent a fire hall in town or in the, you know, the city next door for a couple hundred bucks or, you know, or a VFW hall, you know, or, you know, there was a skate park that was 30 minutes from my house that I, I convinced the owner to, to let me put on shows in the half pipe while kids were skating. I, I don't remember why it occurred to me to do that or, or it was kind of just, I had, I had started to learn about punk rock and hardcore bands and I had kind of known peripherally through some other skater friends and some snowboarding friends that there were kids that played in bands that put on shows that weren't at the typical venues that I had, you know, I had known about, or, you know, I was pretty young, but I hadn't gone to a lot of, you know, big concerts yet, but there were these kids putting on shows. Something about that was interesting to me. And I, I learned how to communicate with a fire hall or a VFW hall or whoever it was and pay them 200 bucks to rent the hall for the night. And the, the space was mine. And I, would you know steal my dad's PA system uh, oftentimes without telling him what I was doing because um, I thought he would be upset because you know back then it was like hardcore and punk were very crazy and mosh pits and it, it was it was hard to explain to parents what was going on but we knew something was really cool about what we were doing so How old um, you? I, then I was probably like probably about 15 16 years old and we started you know my band started putting on shows you know because we were terrible and you know we just uh wanted to play we just that's all we wanted and because we put on our own shows we started meeting other bands because we had to book other bands to play with so then i learned this leverage point and this kind of creating your own value aspect of putting on shows where well, now I'm the guy who puts on shows. You know, my bass player and I, we worked together and put on shows together. And we, you know, we booked the venues, we made flyers, we booked the bands, we communicated. And all of a sudden, we were, we weren't like any but anything crazy, but like we were two people that people were coming to to book shows and go, hey, can we play with you guys? Can we play at your venue? You know, we didn't have a venue, but we had access to a couple of spaces. So, it became like a, not not even like a little business. It just became a way that we could play music and play with our friends' bands. And eventually we started booking, we started reaching and started booking other bands that were bigger than, you know, us and our local bands and bands from out of state. We started booking and, you know, people that wanted, <laughs> people that wanted guarantees, which means you got to pay them X amount of dollars if they're going to show up. And that was new to us. And so that means we got to make that much money. So it became like a, a little side venture. And then all the while, you know, once we started playing with other bands, you know, some of them also did the same thing and they put on their own shows or, or other, or other, you know, other kids that were putting on shows where I grew up in Connecticut in the States, they would have us play because they knew of us from playing shows and from putting on shows. So that's really where it started. It was just a love of, playing music and trying to just put on some shows and have friends come out and be a part of something. And um, from there, I just kept playing in bands and, and I went to music school and uh, I toured in some bands uh, in the early 2000s, some, some metalcore bands I played in and, 
you know, and then I went, went on to, to go back to Boston after being in Los Angeles for a short amount of time and searching for a band. And then I played in there for am for a couple of years and that really took me all over, you know, all over the United States and Canada. And we even did a tour in Australia. And then after that, I went solo and I started working with Vans Warp Tour and I produced a stage uh, for them in which it was an all acoustic stage. So basically all the bands Warp Tour, like Bayside and uh, Saves the Day, different different solo artists from other bands in the scene would come and play solo acoustic sets at my stage. And that became a really special thing. And I got to actually, you know, produce it and play on the stage every day too. So that was like a, you know, a double, double gig for me. And then from there, I just started really working in the industry a lot more. You know, I realized my resume looked like shit, you know, to anyone in the regular world, but in music, my resume actually made a little bit more sense or at least in touring and production jobs. So, you know, I just kind of, when I met with Kevin Lyman, the founder of Vans Warp Tour, and I, I, I pitched him the idea of the stage. That's what I told him. I was like, I've got all these skills, but like my resume looks like a flight risk. You know, I've had all these one-off jobs here and there just to survive being in bands and playing and music and touring and leaving. And, you know, so it, it looked like, <laughs> it looked like I had 30 jobs in the span of, you know, eight years. And, uh, now I was looking to have a little more stability while I also still focus on my, my music so from there, I really just started to branch out and work for music festivals and work for production jobs. You know, I worked in Los Angeles where I was living. I worked for the Performing Arts Center. I worked for the Redondo Beach, you know, this uh, Performing Arts Center down there. I was a house manager there for a couple of years. So I really just kind of dipped my toes into every aspect of production, either on the road or at home or, you know, with, with festivals. Uh, I worked Coachella. You know, I did a lot of different jobs, and what I realized through all of that work was that tour managing was what I really, I really had a knack for, and I loved the most. You know, I'd always been the, the guy in the band who who took the reins and kind of, you know, you know, admittedly was like, okay, I I'd like to take control of and be responsible and try and steer the ship and do the business and be the guy who plays the music. It was just something where I have like a real strong left brain and a real strong right brain, and it just worked for me. And, Who did you um, tour managed bef- before you got to Billy? Well I, well, I started, I always tell people I started with all of my early bands. I was kind of always prepping myself to tour manage out of just survival and necessity. You know, I was, you know, I was the one who was willing to, to take the reins and drive and track where we're going and talk to promoters and handle booking keep track of our money and all that my early bands therefore i am i i definitely tour managed until i couldn't tour manage you know and and still focus on the music um so that was where i really cut my teeth on tour managing and then from there i produced a couple tours based on my band's warp tour stage the acoustic basement so i did two tours in the u.s and one in the uk where i i I became the producer and the tour manager. So I was, I was constantly wearing multiple hats. And then from there, you know, I, I tour managed an old punk band called Screeching Weasel and I worked with this band Paris and, you know, and then it's almost nine years of solo touring um, 
where I was my own tour manager, which isn't, <laughs> isn't much of a task uh, to deal with myself. But, you know, really, I really was just kind of all the bands I'd always been in and always been working with uh, was really the bulk of my tour managing experience. So when it came to Billy, you know, and she was starting out and it was her first tour, her manager knew of me from 10 years of working with his bands when my bands would tour with his bands. And then on Warp Tour, I would, you know, work with some of his acts and put them on my stage. And then when the Billy thing came up for him, you know, he was looking for someone who can manage a, a 15-year-old pop singer who tours with the parents at the time. And at the time, I was just like, yeah, I, I don't know how that'll go. So I'll find you somebody, but I don't think that's for me, you know, because I really hadn't toured in a family situation and I hadn't toured with a pop singer either. And I had these preconceived notions about what that might be like based on all the horror stories you've ever heard about, you know, Britney Spears, dad, Jessica Simpson's parents, you know, you know, even back to the beach boys and the Jackson five, like parents involved in young artist careers doesn't have a really good history. So I was like, that doesn't sound like something I'm interested in. I'm interested in, you know, I've been touring with punk rock and metal bands and hardcore bands all my life. And, um, but you know what, I, I, there's something about the timing of it that, that gave me a different perspective. And I had a couple, couple crappy jobs in a row on tour that I was like, you know, I was ready to just work at home because I had some good home gigs. I'm like, I don't need to be on the road unless I'm either working for people I really love and respect and want to work with, or I'm aiming higher and pushing forward. And I listened to the music and I, and I, I talked to the manager and I was just like, you know what, this is a sold out tour. The music's great. There's something special here. I'd love to meet with the family. And I met with Billy and her family and they're incredibly lovely people. And they, they really shattered any idea I had of what a pop singer family dynamic would be like, you know, it was just, I realized all my ideas were based on just, you know, <laughs> what we've all seen on TV and MTV and growing up and all that shit. How, how is it working with a, with a family, I guess, as well, in comparison to some of the bands, obviously, you've meant you've tour managed before how is it different uh, managing um that with a with with the family as well it's softer there it's softer and it's there's something comfortable about it you know when you know that there's a mom and dad around everybody acts differently and not like everyone's doing drugs and acting like an asshole but it just makes everybody kind of realize that we're working for some young people and their parents are here and they're a big part of the show and a big part of the experience. And it, it really kind of fostered, you know, an extended family vibe, you know, like where everybody thinks a little bit more about what they're doing and how they act. And it created a really cool environment where people are very loving, very caring. You know, our crew are not afraid to talk to the artist and their family because we've all been around each other there isn't like a barrier between crew and the artist and you know it, it really is the family vibe that i i'd always admired about warp tour and certain festival gigs i had worked on where you really feel like you're in the trenches with these people that creates a bond that that really just can't can't be explained it's and you would have you seen feel, that. 
you would have seen that evolution as well uh, in the yeah. smaller gigs to to the arenas. How 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 has that transition been? I mean, the stress the stress of it, and you know, taking care of your mental health and and managing so many different uh, scenarios. How how has that been for you? Yeah, it's it's been wild. You know, it was we literally started out in a van with no trailer and her dad was my only crew person. Really. We had a merch person. We had a front of house person that was friends with, with Billy and Phineas. And that was it. And we were staying in, you know, motel sixes and, you know, it was a real, you know, it wasn't the most punk rock down and dirty sleeping at Walmart's in a, a Conaline van, but it was pretty close for, for starting out. And, uh, you know, from there, I really got to teach them how I live on the road and how I treat people on the road and all the people I, I, you know, encountered at every venue. It was very cool to, to show them people that have never toured that every time I walk into a room, there's somebody at the venue, whether it's the, the bar back, the bartender, the promoter, the stage manager, the, the box office person, there's somebody there I probably know from a previous tour or a previous gig or from a band I was in. And they would see me walk in and just hug somebody. And like that, that kind of just started that whole idea of this is how I view touring. And I got to kind of give them a lesson in touring from, from my perspective, like what I like about it. Like this shit is hard. This shit is tough. But there's also a lot of really great relationships and community, you know, along the way. And if you take care of people and treat people well, like you'll have these relationships for years and you never know where they're going to go. And if you don't even know where they're going to go, at least have a great night together. This shit's too hard to be salty and, and pissed off and, and, and really have a tough time working together. So it was it was great to be able to go from there. But then she blew up so fast that every tour just kept getting crazier and crazier. And the demands were so high for extracurricular stuff, you know, going and doing radio promo and in stores and all kinds of things. And it, it became very difficult. And a year a year plus in, it, it became apparent that I needed more help. You know, I, I was punk rock in it i was the you know i was the tour manager the production manager the stage manager the backline tech the guitar tech the security guy you know i was the driver uh i was a loader so like i was wearing all the hats because you know i had always survived like that you know just doing what you have to do to get through the gig but it got to a point where we were just getting so big so quick and I didn't have the crew. I didn't have the capacity to handle all the situations we were in. You know, we were playing in front of 10,000 people at music festivals at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and we don't have a backup guitar. We don't have a backup laptop. We don't have, we don't have shit. And I had to go to the management managers and be like, listen, I know I've kept all this together, and I'm glad we've survived this far, but you have no idea how close we are to possible disaster. And we need to step up. We need to invest in gear. We need to invest in crew and people. And it was hard because Billy grew so quickly that the money wasn't there at first. You know, it was, you know, when you book festivals and you book tours and things, sometimes it's a year out. And in that year, she went from being a 300 cap artist to you know, playing festivals in front of 10,000 people. And like, that's, that's just 
insane growth and the growing pains were, were really stressful and hard and it was probably the toughest time for me to get through it but uh, I was determined to to get through it and to help Billy survive it and you know luckily we had a really good team and I got to voice my opinions and tell them what I saw and what we needed and you know we started making changes and before we knew it we had a crew and we had more people and we had things we needed and every tour from there on was never enough by the time we got to leave for tour so finally you know fast forward you know through a couple of years now and she's won some grammys and we have a full scale arena world tour sold out and you know we get three shows in and covid cuts us off like that was like it was so heartbreaking for me. I'm like, we finally have everything we need. <laughs> we finally have all the people we need and all the resources and all the equipment we need. And we're going fucking home. And it was, it was really, it was really a bummer. Um, but it was, it was quite the journey. You know, I, I hung on for dear life and I made it through and I attribute it to just all the gigs I'd done all my life and all the touring I'd done as a, as an artist myself were, you have no choice but to survive or or just quit that that didn't seem like an option for me yeah it's 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 really tough to kind of know what i guess musicians specifically musicians obviously rely on heavily on touring but also the uh, they obviously get their radio plays and the the, the money from music interviews or, or or appearances or whatever it is but i guess there's I guess people like yourself, you know, who are tour managing, who don't have tours. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird space right now. It's a weird place to be where we can't do the thing that we you know are trained to do and ready to do and want to be doing. It's um does that mean it, that you're a, kind of having like 2021 or 2022 is just going to be all guns blazing for you? You know, I I hope so. I think everyone's just waiting on bated breath for the world's governments to tell us where we're at and for science to catch up and for, you know, vaccines to be had. And, you know, I think for Billy, for sure, like once we get the go ahead, I think we're going to be, we're going to be full steam ahead. We're going to be in another album cycle probably, you know, it's, it's, that's how long it's going to be. That's how long it's been. (laughs) So it's like, we're we're really, is she enjoying the time to kind of, just reset i mean when you said kind of within such a, a a period of time like such a quick period of time for you as well as the tour manager such a quick period of time where it was just full on it was quite intense it was stressful is it is it is there kind of some positive there where you've been able to take a step back and and some deep breaths yeah i think you know for for her and for me in different ways it's been a nice <laughs> nice time to catch your breath but at the same time I think both of us would would feel the same way and going, okay, we've caught our breath. We're ready. Like it's, it's gone on too long. I'm sure there's positives. There's, there's definitely some silver linings to this time for, for us and for everybody, you know, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's a great thing to focus on, but ultimately I think everyone's really just excited about getting back together and, and doing the thing we love to do. And we've done a couple one-off events here and there the past couple months, which have really helped bring the crew together and helped give the crew some work, 
with some much needed work. And Billy has been very excited about doing those things because, you know, she really misses her road family and she misses seeing fans and being out there. So we did, a, you know, we did a couple special events and some TV appearances and we did a really awesome live stream, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. And that has been helpful in at least giving us something to focus on. But yeah, we're, we're really itching to get back to tour. But of course, there's definitely, there's definitely a time. We were given this time unexpectedly, but I'm sure it's been a good, a good place to reset in a lot of ways. You know, I, I always talk to people and I said, this is the first summer off I've had since 2008. I, I haven't really just had a full summer not touring, not working on the road pretty much since 2008 so that's a new experience for me and i got to spend the most time with my wife that i've ever spent with her since we started dating in you know 2011 and so it's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives for sure it'd be interesting to see how it looks in the future um as well how we get back to it you know are we are we going to be looking at it the same? You know, is there going to be some lessons we take in terms of sustainability as well, or um, you know, making it making the events greener, or is there, you know, different ways in which we're going to be planning the events? You know, how how we look at stuff as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I think this is going to change the game in a lot of ways for health, safety, security, as well as how we put on shows and how we plan touring and you know, and also coming up with other ideas, you know, like I don't think live streaming is going to take the place of live touring by any means, but I think it's going to become more of a staple way of expressing music and art in just a different way, you know, a different experience for people. I think people have a hard time wrapping their heads around a live stream versus live show. And it's not about that. It's about a live stream is its own thing and a live show is its own thing. They're both two separate experiences. And I think the technology has come a long way with live streams that, you know, that might, that might come into play. You know, there, there might be more of that mixed in with touring and mixed in with if you can't always get to every region of the world, you can, you can do different experiences online. So I think it's, it's going to be curious. It's going to be, I'm curious to see like, you know, where we go with that for sure. Um, I guess on the touring side of it, it's it's such a full-on schedule um, as well. Uh, you must have so many. You must be just spinning plates constantly. But how do you how do you manage your time between doing that and also uh, you know spending time with your loved ones? You know, it's um, it's it's a thing you have to actively work on. But you know, when I'm home, I'm home, and I try and be very present for my my wife and my family and friends and. You know, there's always work to be done, but I just try extra hard when I am home to, to really be there for, for the people around me. And, um, you know, when I'm on the road, communicating with people back home and my wife is really important to keep my head clear and to keep my sanity and and stay connected, you know, stay connected to the people I love um, and be a part of their lives. You know, like earlier in my 20s, you kind of go on tour, you're, you're partying, you're drunk, you're sleeping in a van in a Walmart. You don't feel like talking to your mom or your, your girlfriend because you're in a kind of miserable 
existence just trying to survive, you know, doing the thing. Now I have a lot more healthy relationship with the road and my work and, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, always remind yourself what's important and the people that are important to you and, and checking in with them and taking time to, to check in with those people. So, and do you actually get to, you know, sometimes take a step back and, and, you know, smell the roses? Do you, do you get to kind of appreciate where you've traveled? What, what are the best places you've been to and, and kind of what the perks of the job get as well? I'm not great at stopping and smelling the flowers, but my wife is really good at reminding me <laughs> of the flowers I've, I've, I've encountered. We so, always need that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where the Billy thing has just been a blur. Like it was just a whirlwind of three years of nonstop madness. And I do stop now and, and think about it. And COVID times have definitely helped me kind of put that into perspective where I'm like, wow, like, in the course of a couple of years, I went to this many countries and I met this many of my idols from the 90s that I grew up listening to because their kids love Billy now. And, you who, know, who, I, who did you get? Which kind of idols? Oh, man, I, I've met I, I got to meet Eddie Vedder. I got to meet Tom York, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, um, Dave Roll. Like it's it was just unreal how many of these people have young uh, predominantly daughters that are around Billy's age or are into Billy and you know they would come out to shows and I would get to meet them in such a different context you know they're they're their mom or dad for that time and um, yeah that was that was really a trip for me you know I never thought like wow working for a pop singer would bring me to all the people <laughs> that meant the most to me growing up playing music. Like it was, it was pretty crazy. From what you said at the beginning as well is, you know, talking about, you know, the, the pop um, style music and, and the music that you'd got into, who would have thought that it would come full circle when you'd be meeting people that, that are in rock that you love. Exactly. Like it, it really was just a, holy shit, it's a small world and we're all connected somehow. <laughs> like it was very, very surreal to, to realize that, wow, there's generations happening. You know, part of me felt like an old guy, but I also felt like that's so cool that I had been through my own experience with music and artists. And now here they are as, as mothers or fathers with their kids experiencing the artist I'm working with that's young and how that all transferred it was it was it's really special really really cool um why do you why do you think people actually get into the event uh, events and in art industry why do you think they get into it you know i think it's really just um the energy you know the energy of the crowd the energy of the people you know the big crews you're working with and the family kind of vibe and you know pulling off something that that seems you know, sometimes impossible, pulling off something that seems really exciting, um, putting on a show, making people happy. I think there's there's nothing like it. You know, there's there's nothing quite like it. And when you stand in a room of, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people and you feel that energy, you feel a room full of people singing and you know you had a small part in that in that monster, it's it's really something special. And I think that's what that's what keeps people, you know, working in the live space is that 
there's an energy, there's a magic that you can't really put your finger on. You know, we get to capture it, you know, nightly. And it's a lot of work and a lot of sleepless nights, but it, it it's all worth it. There's there's something there that, I don't know, there's something there that just really can't be explained. And it sounds romantic as hell to talk about it like that, but I think that's that's really what it is. Because is, otherwise, you wouldn't work your ass off and do the shit you have to do to make it happen. Because it sounds crazy if you put it down on paper. You know, if you really tabulated out the hours that people on the road work, it's a it's a crazy hourly wage if you if you <laughs> if, if you really calculate 24 hours of your day is spent out somewhere away from your family and friends and and home and you're you're working for somebody but you know I think there's really something special there and you know I think we really struck gold with with Billy and the team that I've I've created and and we we continue to create because it's just you know, everyone's in their purpose. Everyone that works on our crew is is really excited about their specific job. They're not, you know, they're not salty dogs, you know, doing it because it's a consolation prize to being an artist. We're like, well, I never made it as an artist. So I might as well do this. You know, it's it's not that vibe anymore. And I think that's really important. And and it's really important to know that there's other things in life other than being the star. You know, you can be an integral part of a really great <laughs> artist uh, and their live show. And that's, there's some, you know, it's, it's the, this is the theater kid coming out of me, you know, like I, I, I grew up doing theater as well as doing hardcore shows and half pipes, you know, like I grew up, understanding what it felt like to put something on yourself and the value and the self-esteem and, you know, the self-worth that grows from that. And then I also learned that singing with a choir of 300 of the best voices in the state is so powerful and cool. And then being on stage doing theater when there's dozens of people pulling together to make that happen, you know, there's, there's something about being a part of something that's greater than yourself that, that, is really the reward. Yeah. And there, you know, it's, I'd like to think there's just some, some magic sauce going on there. (laughs) Yeah. We're coming to the end of the episode and the things that you've, uh, obviously don't mention the things that you haven't signed, but what does the future look like? And, um, for for you, I guess, and, and, and tour managing Billy, what does the future look like for you? Hmm. What kind of future projects have you got coming up? For me, you know, I've, I've really taken, you know, I've taken this time off to, to focus on speaking with colleges and I've done some, some talks um, with colleges here in the States and abroad. And that's been really cool because, you know, I really love talking shop with young people and kind of, kind of telling them my, my life path um, as an artist and a worker in the arts. And I don't think it's, it's, it's super typical and I think it, it, it could be encouraging or helpful to other people that are now coming up in the industry. So I've been talking to colleges. I've been, you know, trying my, my damnedest to be an advocate for art and, you know, working with a couple different groups. I'm part of the Touring Professionals Alliance, which is a, a group of tour managers and production managers that are seemingly trying to find out how to keep our, our you know, our crews alive through this time and how to move forward and what's going to, what, what it's going to take to get us back working and back on the road, whether that's communicating with Congress and 
pushing bills that make sense to help arts workers specifically, or whether that's fundraisers going for our crew crew members and mental health efforts and other jobs. You know, people are starting to pivot into other jobs because they just can't keep going without working. They've got families, they've got bills. So I've, I've really turned my attention to trying to help my own crew and then trying to help other crews um, and help. I've invested in, um, you know, trying to save some music venues um, from going under, you know, really just trying to trying to see what I can do with my my two hands. <laughs> and I think that's we we need more positivity like that as well in that not kind of just being like, oh, well, this is this is kind of it. You you seem like you're being more proactive about it. Yeah, because what the fuck else do we got to do? You know, like we love what we do. Music's not going away. Live music is not going away. It's going to change. It's going to be different. But we don't know what that's going to look like yet. So for me, it's like, yeah, you could sit around and mope and mourn the death of of live music or the life that we know. And I'm sure there are some people that that have had it and they're at the end of their careers or they're at a place where they just don't want to wait anymore. And I get it. But I think there's a lot of people that really are talented in this space and their talents don't necessarily always translate to the corporate world or to other jobs and such. So, you know, there are people that that really want to find a way to make this work. And to do that, we got to do what we do best. And that's survive and be creative and help each other and, and be there for each other. So I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely on the positive side of it because I'm super fortunate that I get to work with a, an artist like Billy and we have some special events here and there that keep our crew, you know, above water for now. I'm hopeful that, you know, as COVID progresses and as, you know, you know, the presidential election progresses on, we can figure out how to really help these people and um, because it's worth it. And, and what else do we have to do? You know, like it's giving up doesn't seem like a, it, it, it's not the time to, to, to throw in the cards. You know, it's, it's the time to kind of bond together, appreciate what you've got with your family and your friends at home and, be thankful, you know, be thankful we get to do this at all. And then uh, from there, just keep fighting. And I think that's a beautiful message. Um, Brian Markey, it's, it's been great having you on. Um, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, thank you very much. And um, good luck with the future ventures. Yeah, I appreciate it, Daniel. And it was great talking with you. And, you know, thanks for doing what you do and, and for, you know, spreading, spreading that word out there, too. Beautiful. Thanks, Brian. All right. Cheers, mate. Thank Thank you. you.